Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. This is Mark. I'm glad that you're here. I'm a couple of days late. But am I really, though? I mean, this is exactly when I intended to do it. Daggone it, I just can't get that regular Monday schedule down. It's probably why I'll never be successful. Anyway, today I want to answer a question that I ask myself all the time. How come there are so many different ways that Christians view the Bible? Does that ever get under your skin? Do you ever wish that it would ever stop being that way? Let's talk about that today. But first, I want to say thank you again for those who listen, those who respond, those who reach out and let me know. I know that what I say is not for everyone. I get that. But thank you for taking time to listen. We're building a community of people here, and I am really, really excited about what we're doing. I'm excited about the um, opportunities that have come my way to be able to speak into the lives of people who have questions and who have some struggles and to be able to help them and help me really along the way. So it's been a lot of fun. We are in our hundreds now. We've uh, surpassed the episode number 100. And I'm really glad about that. I'm thankful for it. You know, a lot of podcasts, even ones that probably deserve to be heard more than mine does, never make it to 100 episodes. It's a lot of work to sit down and put out podcasts every single week, especially if you're just kind of doing it on your own. It's not always easy. You don't ever know who's going to be listening or whether anybody cares. But some of you that take the time to let me know you're listening and that you care, that makes all the difference. So we're just going to continue on until I decide that we're done. But I'm really thankful for the chance to be doing this. I want to talk about something that I know I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Now, this may not be a struggle for you, but it is for me. And I think it is for a lot of us who love the Lord and want to exist in the body of Christ, but struggle because it seems like it's hopeless to try to teach the Word of God and to try to lead people to follow Christ when just down the street, across the road, across town, the next state over, there are other brothers and sisters in Christ who view things in a completely different way than we do. And it sets up this rivalrous dynamic. And we ask ourselves, how can that possibly be what God intended? I mean, isn't unity the most important thing? Isn't peace amongst us important? And and yes, unity, love of the brethren, Uh, loving in the brotherhood, all of those things are important. But I've really put a lot of thought into this and for my own self. And then as I've been going through the book of Acts with our church and just in my own Bible reading, I began to notice some things that I hadn't really thought about too much before. Again, you may be all settled in this and have no problems with it, but then why are you listening to me anyway? I don't have any idea. That's just a good question on general principle. I have a view of Scripture and a view of Christ and a view of doctrine, some of which have been handed down to me, some of which I have grown in over the years. I'm 42 years of age, which I know is younger than some of you and your underwear, but 
older than others of you. And I struggle teaching the scriptures sometimes because, and I've told my wife, if I teach people this, what good is it in teaching people this? Because there's 25 other people that are going to teach them just the opposite. You know, and it makes me question sometimes, is what I believe accurate? I admire people that that are 100% certain that everything they believe is the truth. I admire them in the way that you admire a child who is completely happy in their imaginary world. You know, you you don't really want to live in an imaginary world like that, but you you admire their the peace and tranquility they have. In that same way, I admire people who are 100% sure that they're right about everything because it must be nice not to ever ask the hard questions. And when we do ask the hard questions, we can realize and come to the recognition that there are other people who will ask the same hard questions and arrive at a very different conclusion. Please don't misunderstand me. I always say that right before people misunderstand me. I don't mean that there's not one truth. Like, truth is objective, there are also subjective truths, but, but I mean, I'm talking about there is such a thing as objective truth. I think that's our goal. I think that many times what we think is objectively true um, is at least shaded by certain levels of subjective truth uh, based on our experience, our presuppositions, our backgrounds, our life experiences. And so this gets to be very, very easy to slip into, as um, a friend of mine, Michael Britt, recently said, a level of certainty that, that isn't warranted. But you have to stand somewhere, right? I mean, we, we have to take a stand. We don't want to be uh, unstable as water. We don't want to be double-minded. We don't want to be blown about with every wind of doctrine, but we need to find a balance between being stable and not blown about with every wind of doctrine and at the same time growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you grow in knowledge, certain things are going to change and adjust and, and move. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. But then there came a time when Paul became a man and those childish understandings, those immature understandings, uh, were set aside for mature ones. Now, this might mean in some cases that like you completely change your belief in a certain area, something that you believed when you were immature, but some, now you have a, a, uh, a more mature understanding of it. In some cases, it's not a complete departure. It's just a refining of the understanding of those things. And so we oftentimes give our children an immature, age-appropriate understanding of biblical truth and then as they get older, they begin. They need to be refined in that truth, and it needs to get deepened. And it's sad that a lot of Christians never grow out of uh, the nursery in their, in their understanding. And it's sad that maybe there are areas in my life that I'm still that way, and um, I need to be working on that. All that to say, I said all that to say this. Even if we are doing that to the best of our ability, there are still going to be people who are going to disagree with us on some pretty important matters. This is why denominations exist. 
This is why groups and uh, sects, S-E-C-T-S, a horrible word to try to say over audio. This is why sectarianism arises as well, because we have this um, tendency to unify and coalesce around a body of, of beliefs, which is normal and natural. It's what community does. But then to, as soon as it, we can then devolve into a us versus them, uh, we, we become very isolated and can get very aggressive towards the other, towards the them, anything that is not us. And then we say, I just wish everybody could, could know the truth like I know the truth. I had a man one time say to me, not that many years ago, well, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I can discern when people don't know the truth, which was very convenient for this man, obviously. Um, ironically, the Holy Spirit never really convicted him that he didn't know the truth, but that's how that goes, I suppose. But he said, and he said, since I have the Holy Spirit in me, and since he has led me to believe these truths, then I know that if people disagree with me, they either don't have the Holy Spirit or they're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You'd be surprised how many people believe just exactly what that man said, even if they wouldn't say those words out loud. I think that a large percentage of this belief arises from a misapplication of Jesus' statement to his apostles that when the Holy Spirit came, he would guide them, the apostles, into all truth. It is not the case that just because you are a believer and have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that therefore uh, all of the believers are going to believe exactly the same thing. It's just not going to happen that way. And it's not because they don't desire equally to know the truth, nor is it because the Holy Spirit is purposely leading some one way and some another way. But it is true that Jesus spoke that to the apostles, which is why I believe we have the canon of the New Testament. That was the Holy Spirit leading the apostles into all truth. Some additional revelation that they needed for the guiding of the New Testament people of God. And the Holy Spirit did that according to the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. But um, anytime people start saying, well, I have the Holy Spirit, so that I know that I'm right, uh, they're, they're saying, if you disagree with them, that either you don't have the Holy Spirit or you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, both of those things one or the other of those things could be true, but they just because those are two possibilities, it doesn't mean that that is the only possibility. There are many reasons why in our lives, and as we try to help people, as we pastor people, as we try to disciple people, as we are growing in the Lord, there are many reasons why people believe different doctrines and why it will probably always continue to be that way until Christ returns. And I have listed, I've got a, a list of several of them here that um, I think are worth considering from Scripture. Um, I think it's good right off the bat, 
first of all, for me to stop saying um so much. Now that I brought it to your attention, you will listen to every time I say um from now on. I think it's good for us to recognize right off the bat, whatever that means, that there have been doctrinal differences throughout Bible history. Forget world history, biblical history, in the New Testament, the New Testament people of God. It was not, even the book of Acts, as well as most of Paul's epistles and one of Peter's epistles, should make very clear, if we'll read them, I think, with an open mind, that not just, there was not just doctrinal differences. There were not just doctrinal differences between the believers and the unbelievers, like the Jews who didn't believe in Christ versus the Jews and Gentiles who did believe in Christ. There were major differences of opinion and, and doctrinal teaching, even within that. Some of what Paul dealt with was trying to settle those things. And there were different people who were exerting influence. Uh, and Paul, you know, he made that statement. He said, you may have a thousand teachers, or I don't forget the number he used, but you might have a thousand teachers in Christ, but you only have one, uh, have, you only have one father in, in the gospel. He said, and that's me, and so I really want you to listen to me. So there was, there's always been a battle of influence. There's always been a battle of ideology. You have the difference of the believing Jews in Jerusalem. When Paul went to Jerusalem, I think, in disobedience to the Holy Spirit of God, and he went to Jerusalem, and James, the Lord's brother, and uh, the rest of the apostles and elders that were there, they they were dealing with an issue. They were glad that Paul was having you know great success among the Gentiles, but their biggest concern wasn't that. They're like, yeah, that's wonderful, glory to God. But our biggest problem is that there's a lot of Jews here, many thousands of Jews that believed, but were still zealous of the law. There didn't see, and then James and the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem gave Paul advice that as a good Jew he should. Uh, fulfill some of these Jewish ceremonies, these rites of purification, to illustrate that he was still a good Jew. And Paul did that, by the way. And he evidently didn't think there was anything necessarily wrong about it, although it didn't work out too well for him. My point is that here in Jerusalem, the epicenter, the birthplace of the New Testament people of God, and you have already a difference of opinion of belief and doctrine within the New Testament church by people who both believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have Gentiles who are not circumcising their children and who are eating certain things that the the Jews wouldn't eat and doing certain things. And so earlier in Acts 15, they had had to come together and say, well, you know, we have some different cultures here. So uh, we think that the the Jews uh, are going to continue to follow the law of Moses and believe in Christ. And the Gentiles, they don't do these four things, you know, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols and so on and so forth. I've talked about that before. But this is a difference. And so if you'd if you'd gone to the first church of Jerusalem and the first church of Antioch, you might have heard slightly different applications of both what the gospel meant as well as our obligations to it. And this was born out of an understanding of scripture and cultural backgrounds and differences. And it was, it was, you know, Paul dealt with a lot of the controversy. In fact, the best Paul could come up with is like in Romans, 
uh, chapter uh, 14 and 15, where he just said, look, just let's give grace to each other. There are weaker Christians, there are stronger Christians, but let's not forget whose servants these people are and that God has accepted them and don't condemn them, but also don't force them to view this in the exact same way that you that you view it, okay? So that's, I mean, that's one thing, like differences of, of culture and background and, and scriptural understanding are always going to exist, and so there's always going to be people who view the scripture differently than you do. But what about false doctrine? Like, what about when you're battling false doctrine? Now, I think we need to be very careful throwing the label of false doctrine around. I have not for many years been scared at all of the use of the, of the words orthodoxy, heterodoxy, or heresy. Okay, orthodoxy just means the things that people have believed for a long time. Okay, I do not it does not bother me at all if someone says to me, well, that's unorthodox. That's not orthodoxy. That doesn't bother me at all. Again, much of what the New Testament um, understandings of, of the law and the gospel were, were charged with a lack of orthodoxy. That was what was at the root of Paul's problem in, in Acts um, uh, 23 or 24 when he went back to Jerusalem. They said, you're, you're teaching unorthodox things. And so heterodoxy, you know, alongside of or outside of, but not in a bad way. And I, you know, I, I'm not worried about that. I've, I'm trying to discern what the scripture says in my, within my community of believers. And with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, I'm trying to discern these things. But I'm not worried about things like, well, that's not orthodox. I really couldn't care less. That's not, that's heterodox. Couldn't care less. These are labels that people have made up. They're made up labels so that you can keep other people in line. Again, most of these have come from those in religious power who use their power to threaten and, con- and conjole others into um, the agreement with propositional statements about Scripture and to keep people from uh, getting out of line. Those who use that term were, were using it as an excuse to then... Uh, excoriate and isolate and reject people who were saying, hey, um, I'm not sure that just because we've always viewed this in that way, I'm not sure that that is always the right way uh, or, or is the right way for us to be to be viewing it. So we never mind we never mind an unorthodox belief as long as it's our own. We just don't like it when someone doesn't uh, believe what we believe. Again, I'll say this. The antiquity of a belief is not a definite indication of its authenticity. The antiquity of a belief is no guarantee of its authenticity. Now, we do need to be careful of novel interpretations, new interpretations, but sometimes it is merely a rediscovering. For my Reformed friends, you take great delight in Martin Luther's rediscovering of the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. That was not a novel doctrine that he discovered, right? You don't say it wasn't a new thing. It was something that had been forgotten. So it seemed new to the people around uh, Martin Luther, but what he was saying is, no, this I believe this is actually what the authentic teaching of Scripture is as opposed to the orthodox teaching of Scripture. So... 
I'm just, I'm not worried about that. I don't care anything about the, the use of the word heresy. Again, heretic is, is a label that gets thrown around. It's like bigot and racist. It's just, heretic is the language of religion that is the same as bigot and racist in our culture. It is the label people use to try to to minimize and absolutely negate what you say because you're a heretic. Heretic means you don't believe like I do. So are there false doctrines? Yes, and we should be on guard against those things. But I'm not scared just because someone throw those throws those labels around. It doesn't doesn't bother me at all. I'm interested in the truth and I'm trying to find it and hopefully uh, I'm going to be successful along the way. But false doctrine has been a problem since the beginning of the new people of God movement that we commonly call the New Testament church. For example, in Titus chapter 1, Paul said to Titus that there are many unruly and vain talk. Again, this is first century, first century church, right? But there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped. Why? Because they subvert whole houses and they teach things that they shouldn't be teaching and they're doing it for money. And so he said, we've we've got to combat this, but there's a lot of them. And this was in the first century. There were already people, specifically Jews, going around the in, in the in the communities of faith and teaching things for the sake of money. And a lot of false doctrine is perpetrated because of the love of money. Right? Um, anytime you can't re-examine a truth that you hold because you're afraid that to do so would end up costing you your income and your livelihood, that should be a red flag to you. That tells you that um, you are not as interested in what is true as what is orthodox and acceptable. Doesn't mean what you believe is false, right? Not at all. Just throwing that out there. In Acts 15, again, there there were those who, uh, who had a different understanding of the gospel, believers in Jesus Christ, and they were troubling the church at Antioch. And so after that uh, church council in Jerusalem, James, in his letter in Acts 15, 24, said, For as much as we, the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, have heard that certain went out from us and have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Right? So James is saying there were people who were on their own, believers in Jesus Christ, but they were taking the scripture and applying it in incorrect ways. And James said, they're, they're causing trouble. We didn't send them. Here's how we're going to try to address that. So all I'm saying is if this has been a problem since the very beginning of the New Testament uh, people of God, then I don't see any reason for us to think that that this is not going to continue to be a problem. There is going to continue to be those who perpetrate uh, false doctrine, even those who claim to be uh, followers of Christ, and even those who may actually be believers in Jesus Christ but are misapplying Scripture uh, uh, for one reason or another. And th- and again, the second thing I would say is that some of these people are doing so purposely and with evil intent. There are people who do this purposely 
and with evil intent. Now, this is a little bit of what Paul's after in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, you know, this whole list. Um, that he that he gives here uh, down into uh, cha- verse number five, he said, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away because they're going to exist, but try not to pay them any mind. For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there are people who are going to teach things that they shouldn't teach purposely and with evil intent. Um, and we just have to be aware of that. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, towards the end of chapter 1 and on into chapter 2. He talks about uh, the prophecy of Scripture in the old time by, by the Holy Ghost and that, we heard, that he heard the word of God uh, on the mount himself. And he said, pay attention to this, listen to the scriptures, listen to the prophecy of scripture. It comes from God. But even at, so then in chapter two of first Peter, or excuse me, in second Peter, he said, even at a time when the, when the Holy Spirit of God was speaking through the prophets, he says in verse one of chapter two, there were false prophets also among the people. There were true prophets and there were false prophets. And he said, and this is not going to change, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, that's a nice word, right, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. So, oh, there's the use of the word heresy. Yes, heresies exist, but heresies that is, is, is the word for sects or divisions, but they're going to bring in damnable ones. Like they're going to divide people over th- and bring in things that are not according to the truth. This is not what God says versus what God says. Um, so he said they're going to, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So as frustrating as it is, I want to say to you, as frustrating as this is, don't let it discourage us from doing our best to teach the truth. And I'm speaking to myself here because this this problem has always existed and it will continue to exist. And it is no reason for us to throw in the towel and, and stop uh, trying. Like, what's the point of trying to teach what we think is true when there are so many other people teaching other things? Well, because we have an obligation to to the truth as we understand it. Now, uh, I got to move right along here. I'm almost out of time. Sometimes this happens, though, loved ones, because there are some that teach um, errant philosophy, maybe, and doctrine, or incorrect or incomplete teachings because they're passionate but not informed. So this is Apollos, right, in Acts 18. He was very passionate. He loved the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. And so Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and expounded the way of God unto him more perfectly. It was the, what he was teaching was the way of God, but it was not a perfect understanding of it. And after he got that right, he was, I mean, even more effective for God, but they didn't cast stones at him and, and, and say, what a, what a knucklehead you are. They recognized he was teaching what he was out of passion for Christ. He was just misinformed and they took the time to try to help him. Now, you can't help people to understand Bible doctrine by, by slapping them in the face. It is a truth of life and living that no one has ever changed their mind after being punched in the head by someone who disagrees with them. Aquila and Priscilla expounded the way of God to him more perfectly, and then he was, he was helped. But this is still going on today. 
People are passionate, but not necessarily informed. This represents a lot of the theology you see spouted in memes on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. It's passion without information. Um, so we don't dislike these people, but we, we realize that, that this is not um, helpful and it may not even be true. Now, some people teach what they do because they they expound the scripture, but they are both unlearned and unstable. Peter talks about this, and he said, this is, you know, in Paul's letters, there are some things that are hard to be understood. And he said, which some people that are unlearned and unstable get wrong, right? They're unlearned and ignorant. This is where I think the exalting of ignorance within certain um, uh, biblical church movements may be in error, being unlearned is a danger when it comes to expounding Scripture. All I need is the Holy Ghost. No, the Holy Ghost will help you, but God expects you to use your mind and your reason and your logic and your education. So you can be as smart as all get out, but uh, understanding and learning will go a long way to helping with proper understanding. So some people are teaching things that are wrong simply because they're ignorant. Now, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. They're just ignorant. They're un- they don't know what they don't know, and so they continue to teach things. But don't let that discourage you. Try to do your best to teach the truth as 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 you know it. Again, and lastly, some people do this because they're immature and unskillful. Right? Um, this may happen a lot in the preacher boy movement. Right? Um, preach. Everybody knows. And boy, I could I could play you some clips of myself as a preacher boy or early on in my ministry, and you're like, whoa, this dude is whacked, right? And you'd be right, because I was immature, and I was unskillful. And I may still be to, to a large extent. I'm growing, but hopefully I'm a little bit more mature and skillful than I was then. But the writer of Hebrews deals with this. He said, I'd like to talk to you about some really, really complex doctrines, but you're still immature. And he that useth milk is unskillful in the word, okay? So there are people whose teaching does not extend beyond milk. There are people, I hear people who say, I'm going to teach you something really deep here. And then when they try, it becomes obvious that they're, they don't know what they're doing. They're unskillful, all right? So saying you're teaching something deep and teaching something deep are two different things. And it's not always, not always uh, easy to, to, to tell the difference. So how do, we, how do we approach this? Like, what do we do? I'm out of time here. What do we do? Well, first of all, I think we work hard to examine ourselves and our beliefs. Paul meant what he meant by what he taught, right? But we're not justified in immediately or arrogantly proclaiming that what we say about what Paul said is actually in line with what Paul meant, right? A lot of times I hear preachers say, well, Paul says, and then go on to interpret Paul's words. Or they say, the scriptures say, and what they mean is the scriptures mean, there is a difference between what Scripture says and what Scripture means, and oftentimes we can apply our own meaning to what Scripture clearly says, and I think we need to be careful uh, when we do that. I think we should stay humble and constantly examine ourselves and our beliefs to make sure that we're not the ones guilty of, of, of the error. Secondly, I think we can patiently and carefully instruct those who are under our care or circle of influence that may not have the same understanding of Scripture. Remember, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Boy, do I need to to work better at that. Patiently and carefully instruct those under your care. It's always worthwhile 
to instruct people in the truth. Number three, stand firm against doctrine that you're convinced is against the teachings of Scripture. I am not saying that we say everybody's understanding is equally valid. No, I stand firm against, for example, I'll alienate some people here, but I stand firmly against the teachings of Reformed theology. I am diametrically opposed to it, not because I don't understand it, but because I do understand it and I do not believe it is what the Scriptures teach. However, I want to stay humble and recognize I could be wrong. Now, for my Calvinistic brethren who may be listening, don't be mad at me for being wrong. God predetermined before the foundation of the world that I would be wrong at this point. So what else can I do, right? Um, But I I try to stay humble, if sarcastic, and recognize that I am 100% opposed to this teaching, but I recognize that other people who hold this teaching uh, desperately and honestly love the Lord. And I and I would be wrong for impugning their love for Christ. I just disagree with their doctrinal interpretation and I stand against it, but not a, but I am but I am not condemning them for it. Okay. Um number four, so stay humble, right? Stay humble. We have to hold to what we believe, but we, we, we have to stay humble. Number four, work to discern the, the difference between an Apollos of Acts and the false prophets of First Peter. Okay, So Apollos was teaching something that was incorrect, but he loved the Lord and he was passionate. He just didn't have all the information. The false prophets of, of uh, First and Second Peter were evil in their intention. We have to work hard to discern the difference between the two, or we may be guilty sometimes of extending grace to someone who deserves chastisement and chastising someone who deserves grace and patience. And so work hard to, uh, of that. But by all means, don't be afraid of words like orthodox, heterodox, and heresy. Focus on the scripture. Focus on the word. That which has been taught and held for many years might in fact be right, but in fact it may be wrong. Orthodoxy is not the the test of accuracy. Truth is the test of accuracy. It turns out if it's true, it's true. Not if it's old, it's true, all right? Um, And I may get myself in a little bit of of trouble for that. Um, Anyway, I hope that gives you some things to think about. And if I've left something off or left a question open in your mind, please let me know. Text me, 910-265-7297. And how about, let me see, is this what I want to use? He said, are you? Nope, that's not what I wanted to use. That was the wrong one from last week. What word? What do I want to use? Oh, how about that? That's so much nicer. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, all right. If I've left something off, let me know. 910-265-7297. Is my number. You can text me and ask me anything. I don't have to answer. Email me, thispoorpastor at gmail.com. Connect with me on Facebook, Mark Foster on Facebook. I'll see you around. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.